Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. Luke chapter 7. We're going to pick up in verse 1 with one of my favorite stories this morning. Well, accounts. I don't like using that word story either. I heard answers, and it was uh, Creation Ministries International I heard talking about this when they were here and said, we've done an injustice to our kids as we've raised them because we talk about Bible stories. And story has the implication of maybe being a fairy tale. Said it's a biblical account, you know, but we're in the habit of doing what we do, and sometimes we say stories, but the truth is it is an account and is one of my more favorite accounts because we're dealing with a soldier. So let's see what it says. Let's look at Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Now, when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders to the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning. And as we look at this brief passage, I pray, Lord, that you would speak so powerfully to our hearts about the kind of faith that you desire from us. Lord, a a faith and trust that would just be... um, unshakable, unwaverable, Lord, obedient faith, faith that would simply see in you all of the divine power that rests in you, what you're able to do on our behalf. Lord, we already placed our faith in you for salvation, or at least I pray we have. Uh, I don't know everyone that's listening here today. You know their hearts, but Father, uh, those of us that have, you know that we did that on the belief that you are who you say you are. And yet, Lord, you desire to build in us even greater faith with each passing day. We continually, step by step, move forward trusting you, trusting that you are able to do all that you have told us that you can do and will do for us if we'd simply believe. Lord, how we we just turn to you this morning now, ask your Holy Spirit to fill us and help us to understand this passage. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, and God's people all prayed, amen. This is a great passage to be in this morning because being the Army guy, former Army guy that I am, Army won yesterday, yes. To all you Navy people out there that are listening on live stream today, nah, 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 okay? Army won again. That's, you know, it's been getting to be a pattern, which is pretty good. Last year I know they lost, but it's getting to be a little bit of a pattern. Well, let's get back to the scriptures. They're more important. 
Look at verse 1 again. Now, when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. A certain centurion. A certain centurion. You know, centurions were career soldiers in the Roman army. That's what they were. Uh, they, they were considered to be the backbone of the Roman army. Uh, a lot like the U.S. Army will say that about non-commissioned officers. You know what I mean by non-commissioned officers? NCOs, sergeants. We would refer to them as the backbone of the army. But the difference is for the Roman army, the centurion was kind of a mix between officer and NCO. He was more like a company commander, and yet because of some of the functions, he would function like sergeants would in our army. But the Roman army was composed of legions. And each legion consisted of 6,000 men, which was then subdivided into 60 centuries, what they called centuries, meaning 100 men each. So you had 60 of these 100-man units. And each century, each of those 100-man units was commanded by a centurion. Now, centurions were highly trained. They were highly disciplined soldiers who had proven themselves in battle. And as such, they were the cement that held the Roman army together. The, the morale of the Roman army depended upon the centurions. And in a lot of ways, the centurions represented the best of the Roman ideal, but they were also despised by the Jews because of what they represented. First of all, they were despised because they were Gentiles, right? The, the prayer which Jews often prayed in that day revealed the depth of their disdain for Gentiles in general. Thank you, Lord. This was a common prayer of the day. Thank you, Lord, that you did not make me a woman. Sorry, ladies. A Gentile or a pig, okay? They were all in the same category from their view. And, and to be a, to, to, to a good Jew, Gentiles were considered to be nothing more than fodder for the fires of hell. Now, that's really sad. And not and just on multiple levels, but it's really sad given the fact that Israel was designed to be a light to the nation, not just to themselves internally focused, but, but looking outward to, to reach the lost of the world, to be that light to the Gentiles. And, and yet by Jesus' day, it had turned so inward that that was the least of their concerns. You know, I see a lot of parallels to that today in Christianity. There's this inward looking. It's become all about us. And, and everybody else is sort of looked down on as just them sinners. When in reality, we're here to be a light to them sinners of which we are chiefest in a lot of ways, you know. And, and, and we can't fall into that trap that the Jews did, but they did. So they despised the centurion just based on the fact that he was a Gentile. But secondly, they were despised because of what they represented. I mean, they were the visible symbol of Roman occupation. They were the visible symbol of Rome and Rome's dominance over their nation. The Jews were living under the yoke of Roman bondage and oppression, and oftentimes the treatment that they received from Rome, from the soldiers, from the troops that were there was harsh. It was extremely cruel, and the centurions commanded the army that kept them in bondage, and so their disdain for the centurions was completely understandable. And yet, and yet, despite these attitudes towards them, we can't miss God's attitude towards them. Because when you look at the scriptures, and I don't mean just here in this passage, when you look at the scriptures as a whole and throughout the New Testament, wherever they seem to pop up in the New Testament, they're depicted in a positive light. 
And, 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 and there's all sorts of positive qualities that the scriptures bring out and say is noteworthy about them. Matthew 27 and verse 54, it was the centurion that recognized Jesus as truly being the Son of God as he hung upon the cross. That doesn't make him saved, but I mean, there were Jews that didn't recognize that. His own people didn't recognize that. And here's the centurion says, this truly was the Son of God. Now, the was is questionable because he is, right? He wasn't. But to the centurion, he didn't know any better spiritually. He just recognized this was the Son of God. That just got that got crucified. Acts chapter ten. It is a centurion by the name of Cornelius, who I really like that account, who's among the first recorded Gentiles to be open to the gospel, and as a result, comes to saving faith in Christ. He and his family. It's the one that the Lord sends Peter to. Remember, the sheet comes down when Peter's relaxing, and all the unclean animals are in it, and he tells Peter, "Kill and eat, Peter." Oh, it's unclean. I can't do it. No, kill and eat. And the Lord wasn't just making it so you can eat ham on resurrection sunday right the idea was that god what god had what had once been unclean god was making clean in terms of who they were to take the gospel to and peter first took the gospel right out the doors to this guy cornelius who was a centurion acts chapter 21 and and chapter 22 it is a centurion that protects the apostle paul from rioting mobs that are trying to kill him and, and even from his own commander who is preparing to scourge him, he turns around and says, but this is a citizen. We can't do that. He protects Paul. Acts chapter 23, it's a centurion who protects Paul from a murder plot. And in Acts 27, it is a centurion who is guarding Paul on his journey to Rome, who treats him with incredible dignity and respect the whole time, and even kindness. And what's even more remarkable is when that ship is getting ready to sink in the middle of that awful storm that they were in, Paul has a a word from the Lord and knows what to do. The the centurion even defers to Paul's leadership in that moment and, and what Paul wants to do in the midst of that storm. And so what we find when we find these centurions is not all this awful stuff we often see in the movies, but in the scriptures, just these bright spots that are presented. Does that make them good guys? No, it doesn't. You know, the Romans were a brutal people, and so were the centurions. But I am saying that for whatever reason, there were qualities about centurions that the Lord wanted to highlight for us in the Scriptures, and he's doing that right here. In our passage, Luke's going to go on to record some very complimentary things about this particular man, which the Jews themselves highlight to Jesus in order to get Jesus to respond to his request for help for the healing of his servant. So look at verse 4. It tells us in verse 4, And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. And, And so Luke tells us that the people come to Jesus and they beg him to respond to this centurion's request, giving Jesus a wonderful characterization about this man. First, they they tell they tell Jesus this centurion was different. And that he was deserving to have his request heard because he loved the nation and the people of Israel. This was a man who, who was going out of his way for the very people that he was sent to suppress and keep in bondage. And, and he was effect, just connecting himself to them in a very powerful and personal way. So much so that, that he was even using his own personal wealth to help meet the needs of the community by building them a synagogue. You want to talk about winning the hearts and minds of the people? He absolutely was doing that. And on top of that, even though they don't specifically mention it, the last verse reveals how this man was a man of tremendous compassion. 
in those verses we opened with. A man of tremendous compassion because the request he's making is for his servant, not anything for himself. He's not coming to Jesus to ask anything for himself. He's coming to ask Jesus to touch the servant who he cared about. Luke tells us that the servant was dear to him. And this is noteworthy because servants weren't just like house people that you hired. They were slaves. They were slaves. They were considered to be things. They were considered to be property, just proper to be used and discarded when their usefulness had ended. Some would have just thrown their slave away at this point, but not this man, not this centurion. This centurion showed mercy and he showed compassion instead, wanting the best for his servant that he cared about, willing to humble himself. I mean, willing to humble himself before this Jewish man, Jesus, to beg his help for his servant. So even though Jews naturally, and in in many ways justifiably, you know, let's not take away from the fact that a lot of their disdain for the Romans was justified. They had a right to resent the Romans, but this man challenged their attitudes. He challenged their attitudes. They, They saw in him something different and even willingly took on his cause to Jesus because of what they saw in him. You know, I think that there's a real lesson in this for all of us. I really do. You know, we need to be careful with our attitudes and the judgments that we naturally make of people around us, in the world around us, especially with those who don't particularly appeal to us. I'm not talking about in the church. I'm talking about outside the church you know, who don't appeal to us or that we have problems with, there will always be people we don't particularly like, even justifiably so at times. But as God's people, we have to base our attitudes and judgments of people on very different things than the world does. We, we can't look at people and make our judgments about them as the world does, but what we need to do instead is we need to look at them from God's perspective, seeing them as God sees them, And God loves people. God loves all people. I don't care. He loves all people. Well, Pastor Randy, you mean the vilest people? He loves all people. So the scriptures tell us it doesn't make the caveats. It even says that he grieves when the wicked die. You know, it's not his heart to see that. God loves all people. And we need to learn to give ourselves over to that perspective and to choose to love people in the same way. Remember, God's grace and and, and compassion for people is far wider than you and I can ever perceive it to be, and and is much broader than ours naturally is. What we see as dishonorable and unloving, God sees in a completely different light. To the common Jewish man or woman of Jesus' day, the centurion represented things that were reprehensible to them. And, and, and yet God saw them in a different light, seeing beyond the external things that, that the, the people of the day were applying to their evaluations of them. And he, you know, when, when you look at this, he noted the best things about this centurion, this representative of Rome, the things that were right about his life, not just the things that were wrong, but the things that were right, things that made him a candidate for his intervention of grace in this man's life. You know, while many people in Israel would have written him off, God was writing him in. Think about that for a minute. 
they were writing, most people of the day, now not the ones in our account, but the vast majority of Jews of that day, in particular the Pharisees and Sadducees, who I guarantee you were watching this whole thing come down. It doesn't specifically tell us that, but we know that they've been following Jesus around like leeches in the mud, you know, just kind of waiting for an opportunity and seeing everything that he's doing. And, and, and they would have written this man out of any account that had to do with God, but God was writing this man into his account. Be very careful. Be very, very careful not to write people out of God's plan simply because of what they represent or because they don't appeal to you or they don't seem worthy of God from your perspective. You know, the, the grace of God that he offers to every man and woman on this planet through Jesus Christ is, is a grace that, that is far beyond anything that you and I can even begin to conceive of from our own perspective. He desires, as the scriptures tell us, that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance and find eternal life. Now, granted, people themselves have to choose to accept his extension of grace that he's offering to them, but there is no one from whom God withholds that offer. No one, not a single person. You know, and when you think about that, God's heart's desire is that all men and women would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, even those who represent things that are reprehensible. Even those that represent things in our world today that are absolutely evil and wrong, it's still his desire that they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know, I can, I don't hear you guys, but I can hear the voices in my head because over the years I've heard them. But Pastor Andy, you don't understand what that person has done. You don't understand the depth of the evil things that they've done. You don't know the awful things that they're engaging in and the kinds of things that they're supporting. You don't know the pain that that person has created for people. You don't know how bad that person really is. That guy, that gal has made themselves an enemy of everything that is right and moral and good, even making themselves an enemy of God and his people. Well, I just let scripture answer that those concerns. Here's what Romans chapter 5 verses 8 through 10 tell us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 through 10. And we're going to be glad this passage is here. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that after we cleaned our acts up and we were no longer evil people, Christ came and died for us and accepted us. I just twisted the scriptures because that's not what it says. What it says is, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. I can never get away from that passage. That has spoken to me so resoundingly. And I've said before, you know, I grew up a pretty good kid. But when I came to Christ, I just realized how even being good on my best day, I could be pretty nasty and evil in a lot of my plottings, thinkings, and actions and behaviors. You know, and I look back and I'm grateful for that passage because it tells me that even while I was still in my sin, even while I was doing these evil things, he died for me. His death was meant to save me. Now, I had to receive that salvation. I had to reach out and accept what he was offering to me, but he still did nonetheless for me. He didn't wait for me to clean my act up to do this for none of us. 
And if that doesn't answer it for you, then think about this passage, Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. And you who once were alienated and enemies, who in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Did you hear that? Once while we were alienated and enemies in our minds through wicked works, he still did this for us. Hey, there is, there was no greater enemy of God than any of us at some point. No greater enemy of God than at some point ourselves, at some point in our lives. And, and from the world's perspective, God had every right to judge us. And he could have absolutely done that. He could have condemned us. He could have written us off. But he didn't do that. He chose not to do that. Instead of writing us off, he wrote us in through Jesus Christ. And I'm so grateful that he did. There's not a day that goes by that I'm not grateful for that, especially when my flesh starts rising up and I just realize how awful I can still be at times, you know, to know that he still wrote me in. This was Jonah's mistake, you know? You know the account of, I almost said the story after giving that lecture on stories and accounts, right? But the account of Jonah, that's his mistake. If you know that account, he was called to preach to the Ninevites, the Assyrians, and Jonah did not want to do it, Right? He starts running away. He gets swallowed by the big fish and eventually puked back up on the beach. And, you know, and then even after that, it isn't enough. And and his real attitude comes out because some think that, well, Jonah didn't want to do that because these people, he was afraid of them. Well, maybe in the beginning, but we get to the heart of the issue by the very end because he's pouting over this. Because what does he basically say? I know that if I go down there and preach to them, you're going to save those people. He didn't see them worthy of God's salvation, and there was no way he was going to go down there and preach to them. He did not want to do it for that very reason. He had zero desire to show them any mercy and any grace because he just preferred to see them burnt to a toast by God instead. And and you know what? In the thinking that he had, it was rational in a lot of ways. I mean, the Ninevites were nasty people. The Assyrians are some of the cruelest people that ever walked the face of the globe. I mean, I remember from taking a, 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 a history of the Middle East and the Far Eastern cultures uh, when I was first starting college while I was in the Army, and I remember a professor talking about, you know, they, what they would do with some of their prisoners is they would slice them so that they could take out a part of their intestine and they would tack it to a pole. And then they would chase them with spears around it while their intestines unraveled. How's that at 9 o'clock in the morning, right? But this is a cruel people. These were nasty, nasty people. So, you know, you could see the perspective that would say they're just too evil to be saved. And even if they could be saved, why would we want to save them after all the evil that they've done? That was Jonah's mistake. That was the mistake of people even in Jesus' day as they looked at the Gentiles. It's still the mistake that you and I at times make as we look at people in our culture who are reprehensible to us. We need to be careful with this because this is not God's attitude. Jonah, others, the Jews, us, we don't see things the way God sees things. We don't see people the way he sees people. You know, I've learned over my years in Christianity that the people I think least deserving and the least likely to be the recipients of God's grace are often the very people that Jesus reaches down, touches, and saves. I I, I like something John Corson once said. He said, there will be three surprises when we get to heaven. 
Three surprises. Number one, there won't be people there who we expect to see when we get there. Right? First surprise. Second surprise, there will be people there that you never thought would be there, but they're standing there. And number three, you're going to be surprised and amazed that we're there, <laughs> that you and I are there. You know, when you think back on your own life as you're standing in the holiness in front of the holiness of Jesus and realize that it's only his holiness covering you that that's made you of anything. You know, it's made you of anything. We don't deserve it. Don't let your worldly attitudes toward people rule anyone out of God's grace. Even if your attitudes about them might be justified in some ways, don't let that rule them out. Just set those aside and, and see people, all people, as God sees them. And, and always remember, for God so loved the world, right? God so loved the world. It isn't for God loved some of the world. It isn't that God loved some of the best of the world. It is that God so loved the world. And as his ambassadors of grace in this world, we need to do exactly the same. But back to our account. It is noteworthy that the people see some things about this man and take up his cause with Jesus rather than, than letting their views of Rome and, and, and its representatives cloud their judgments and keep this man from a blessing. But I do wonder what they would have done had this man not had the reputation that he held with them. I wonder if leading into this, it wouldn't have been that he'd been a friend of theirs and that he'd built the synagogue for them. But then in a moment of humility would have come to them and asked for help, wanting to see Jesus. I wonder if they would have responded the same way. We can only guess. I mean, we don't know from the account because this is the way it is. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.